Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Well, hello. Welcome. The Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. Uh, it's it's the usual early week edition here. I am merely Andy Barron's coming to you from Chicago. He is Scott Pianowski coming to you from his lair in uh, in Michigan, somewhere near Detroit. Scott, how are you? Lovely, lovely. Um, we have a COVID infection in the house, and uh, it's not me. Girlfriend <laughs> is quarantining the other room. I'm trying to avoid it trying to get to my golf trip in a few days. So uh, it's been a sweat, literally. Can't take any cough uh, in stride, but I'm here to talk football. I'm focused and, uh, you know, drag me away at the end of the hour. Yeah, we've been we've been swimming in COVID around here, too. So we've just come through it. Um, back out on the other side, uh, feeling, feeling good. Hopefully this uh, is relatively painless for you. Um, we should probably mention right here at the top that your team, the Patriots, Unwilling uh, to pay top dollar for Nikhil Harry in his next contract, uh, flipped him to my team, the Chicago Bears. The, the rich get richer. The Bears add another uh, stellar receiver to an already dynamic receiving core. Um, do you have any any farewell thoughts for Nikhil Harry? One of your one of your favorites? <laughs> yeah, right. Get out your bingo card. I mean, look, I mean, he's proven to be the right choice over Debo Samuel and A.J. Brown and Terry McLaurin and D.K. Metcalf and, you know, even Darius Slayton would have looked nice for a while. I, I still think Darius Slayton should be somebody people would want to trade for. But, look, I, the Bears are doing the right thing, right? I mean, they have they? in all seriousness here. Yeah, sure, of course they are. They are. They have a very thin wide receiver room. And I, I, I don't know when these position groups became rooms, but I, I love it. I'm here for it. <laughs> um, so they're, you know, they're plausible upside. They're taking, they're trying to see if they can make something pop. Um, so much of football is environment, you know, na- nature versus nurture and all that stuff. I, I Maybe they can figure something out. Maybe, maybe something the Patriots wanted Nikhil Harry to do wasn't working out. I mean, let's face it. As great of a coach as Bill Belichick is, he has not drafted the greatest skill talent. Um, and for the the funny thing about Harry was that I believe he was the first Patriots first round draft choice at wide receiver going back since the ter- Terry Glenn in the yeah, mid nineties, the late Terry right. Glenn. So um, they had forever, you know, the the first half of the Brady era was like, okay, you know, you got Troy Brown, what do you need a receiver for? You got Richie Caldwell, <laughs> what do you need a receiver for? Uh, obviously, they got Moss in, in 2007, and that went ballistic. And then they they hit on the Gronkowski draft choice, which was really important. And then, they, you know, they found guys like Welker and Edelman. That's great. But this was not the Peyton Manning model, 
right? Where, okay, you have, you inherit Marvin Harrison and here's Edron James and here's Joseph Dye and here's Reggie Wayne and here's Dallas Clark and even guys who didn't work out like Anthony Gonzalez and, and um, Donald Brown, all first round draft choices, right? They just stocked the fridge for him. And I, I know this is part of the frustration in Chicago. It's like, well, where are they stocking the fridge for Justin Fields, right? I mean, you know, the Jets have tried to stock the fridge for Zach Wilson, you know, the, um, the, the Jaguars went out and tried to get pieces that would be interesting for um, for Trevor Lawrence. Where is the stock, the fridge stocking for Justin Fields? Well, here it is, it is stocked. Nikhil Harry has stocked your fridge. Yeah, um, this is one of those moves where if another team did it, um, I, I I would get it, right? Like I'd feel okay about it. But when you add Nikhil Harry to a, to a receiver room, as you say, that already has Dante Pettis and Tajay Sharp, and it's just the hits keep on Byron Pringle, David Moore. It's just an amazing receiving room right now. So that happened. Uh, it's only at the cost of like a seventh round pick or something like that. So it's of course so you would you must be angling you must be angling Harry as one of your late round choices, right? You're Mister Relevant, as John Hansen would say. Yeah. Well, now it further complicates the the back end of all drafts, right? Because you know, of course, I'm taking Pringle, and now I got to think about Nikhil Harry too, right? Like I want to take as many flyers on this Bears offense as it. No, I don't. I don't want any of that. I don't want any of this mess. Um, give me Mooney and. That's, uh, that's pretty you don't much want it. Pringle. I mean, a- anybody who's named after a potato chip, you feel pretty good about. <laughs> I uh, we got to stop talking about the Bears. Um, it's it's just to feel you, too... you, you feel in fields. Is he uh, one of these second year quarterbacks? I know they talked about that last week on the pod. I mean, who's going to break out? Is it Fields? Um, don't don't make me uh, disparage Justin. I don't have anything bad to say about Justin Fields. I thought Justin Fields no, showed a lot last season. Um, it's just this is not the receiving core to maximize anyone's talents, right? And this is certainly not the offensive line to maximize his talent. Um, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna force I'm gonna force one more Chicago Bears question on oh, you, no. and then we'll go to the rest of the show. At the end of the draft season, the Bears player who will be most common in the Barons portfolio will be who? Oh wow. That's a that's a good question. Um, I see a lot they have of people, a few guys. They have a few guys. I've I've already drafted uh, David Montgomery in a couple of places where he's just he's fallen not quite to the RB dead zone, right? But he's he's stuck around until like the third round, late in the third round, and I've and I've already taken him a couple times, and I just don't like I don't see myself interested. Somebody's always taking Mooney higher than I'm willing to. Somebody's always expecting a breakout season or a possible breakout season from Cole Komet. And I like I get the target availability for Komet, but man, that guy has dropped a lot of passes near the end zone. Um I don't I don't have a lot of faith in him as a Bears as somebody who's watched him a lot. Um, so I never pull the trigger on him. So it's probably by default going to be Montgomery. I mean, I, I like the idea of Justin Fields and I, uh, I would certainly like, if we want to talk about a rushing prop for Justin Fields, do I think he can rush for 550 yards? I think that's, uh, yeah, I think maybe that's possible. Um, but I, this is just such a poor receiving core and it's, it's such like, it's a group of holograms and turnstiles for an offensive line, right? It might be the worst offensive line in football. And that is just. I don't see how that's going to work out well. You know, I don't see Jimmy Graham on the roster, but I still expect on opening day <laughs> that he's going to get like three red zone targets. And, you know, Cole Komet managers are going to be like, what's going on here, man? I, um, J- Jimmy Graham's going to play till he's 50. You know, I'm just convinced of that. And siphon off fantasy. He'll get in the way of fantasy value we're trying to accrue, but never actually accrue any fantasy value himself, which is a pretty interesting trick. But 
Uh, okay. Jim, Jimmy Graham, was... back in the day, great player, right? But he's turned into sure. this guy who just um, sucks all the value out of other people. It's really unfortunate. Yeah, um, he's like the guy at the party doesn't know when to leave. It's like, you know, everybody, <laughs> we're, we're cleaning up now. You know, people have gone to bed. You know, it's time to go home. Your friends don't know when to leave. This is this is quite enough Jimmy Graham talk, and it's quite enough Bears talk. Man, okay. I hope they don't. I hope they don't stick me on the Bears preview podcast. That one's going to be tough for me. Today, we're actually here to talk about the New York Giants. Um, they have some fun stuff. And they also have some not so fun stuff. And we're going to get into Brian Dable. We're going to get into Saquon Barkley. You and I have talked about Barkley uh, a little bit uh, on prior pods. We're going to talk about Daniel Jones. He's almost exciting. But first, I actually want to talk about. I don't even know how to phrase this. Is it is it general fantasy excitement? Is it buzz? Is it optimism that that surrounds new head coaches, particularly offensive minded head coaches like Brian Dable um, when they come to a team? Right. And we have a little bit of this going on in the league right now. We have Josh McDaniels. We have Mike McDaniel. We have, uh, you, you know, we got we got a guy from the Rams tree in in uh, as the OC in in Minnesota, like. And I feel like, generally speaking, the fantasy community gets uh, gets gets pretty optimistic and we get pretty buzzy about all these guys. Like we imagine best case scenarios. But like I've lived through, you know, everybody locally was really excited to see Matt Nagy. Oh, here's somebody from the Andy Reid tree coming to, to come into Chicago and Trey Burton's going to become Travis Kelsey and all these good things are going to happen. It doesn't obviously it doesn't always work out that way. So um, what is your just you know thousand foot view here but what what is your general view of uh new head coaching situations when it's a are, are you the type of fantasy manager who like talks yourself into a best case scenario in a lot of these situations you know a lot of times when i have optimism in one of these situations it's because of what we're escaping more than what's coming in it's the idea that <laughs> brian dable can't be as bad as joe judge and can't be as bad as jason garrett or you know what jacksonville is inheriting trevor lawrence didn't have a chance with urban meyer and what go, may go down as the worst coaching year in nfl history so not, not that doug peterson is seen as you know as andy reed 2.0 or anything like that at least i don't i don't view him that way but he's He's not Urban Meyer. That's a good thing, right? I know it didn't work for Sam Darnold last year, but look at all the fantasy players who have prospered after they got out of the clutches of Adam Gase, you know, and I'm sure sometimes that's signal and sometimes that's noise. But I don't have a hard, fast rule of thumb on this stuff other than generally teams change coaches for two reasons. One is just everything's collapsed and everybody knew the coaching staff, like in the case of Nagy, everybody knew that coaching staff was going to get broomed out at the end of the season, it's kind of a lame duck and um, you move on from there. Or you have a situation like the Vikings where they've kind of become stagnant in a program that's been positive and it's just time for a new voice, right? We saw that in the NHL with the Bruins where Bruce Cassidy is a great coach. The players kind of tuned him out a little bit. They need somebody else to come in. Cassidy got hired in like 10 seconds. I think he's in Vegas now. But um, so th- there's two different situations, you know. Um, and also you see kind of a an A and a B is where a lot of these coaching staffs are completely new and they're new ideas and they're new systems, new terminology. And then you have situations like the saints and the Buccaneers where, you know, the the offensive coordinators are still the same and there's going to be a lot of continuity. And that's a very fantasy friendly word, right? Is continuity. We like (laughs) continuity. We like, we like offensive line continuity. We like offensive coordinator continuity. We like it when a coach who a quarterback is familiar with and is comfortable with stays in the program, even if other things have changed. So, um, I always feel good about that, but 
let's be honest here. I mean, a lot of this stuff is just guesswork, right? A lot of these head coaches are getting their first jobs. A lot of these coordinators are getting their first coordinator posts. And we don't know. We don't know if they're, and it's hard to say. I mean, a year ago, I think I said this last week, but a year ago, I, I thought Arthur Smith, great hire in Atlanta. Look at all the great stuff he did in Tennessee. The, the Tannehill reclamation project was on his watch and, you know, AJ Brown blossomed and Johnny Smith at times was interesting. And yeah, what, what a great hire. I can't wait to see what he does with Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts. And, right. you know, little did I know that, you know, the, the only thing Arthur Smith really had to give us last year was the Cordero Patterson breakout that nobody was, was waiting for, but everything else kind of fell apart in Atlanta. And I don't know it. We don't, you don't know. I mean, we're going to talk about the giants later and we're going to find out Brian Dable, you know, how much of Josh Allen's ascension to stardom. And right now he's probably one of the Allen's probably one of the primary MVP favorites. The bills are the super bowl favorite. How much, and Allen came in as a very raw, you know, very toolsy guy, but a player who was seen as the development player, even though he was drafted very early, how much of his ascension to, to stardom was on Dable's watch was, was Dable's, handling gables whispering i mean it's, it's a really nebulous thing there's no clear answer on this stuff and i'm just rambled for like five minutes <laughs> no i i feel like there's a, a fair number of giants fans probably who are just assuming that uh whatever dable did with josh allen he can do with daniel jones right because it's uh you know which obviously gives very little credit to josh allen for his own uh ascension and an awful well, this lot is of the credit thing with football. Dable. this this is the thing with football is, is it's so hard to know yeah. i say this all the time it's how, how much of it was Montana? How much of it was Rice? How much of it was Bill Walsh? How much of it was the offensive line? You know, how much of it was Brady? How much of it was Belichick? How much of it is Andy Reid? How much of it is Mahomes? How much of it is Kelsey? How much of it is Tyreek Hill? And, you know, Tyreek Hill's been eliminated from that situation this year. The Chiefs are fascinating this season. Uh, football, you know, baseball is a game that is about individual acts that is really friendly to be quantified. And so we have a really good say in, how much a player is worth and why this player is better than that player and, and, and all that stuff. Football is a game of all these things happening in concert at the same time. And a lot of it, we don't see, we can literally on the TV screen, you can't see the whole play. And even if you expose the all 22 to everybody, I mean, there's like, you know, 1% of the population really understands all of it. And you know, the rest of us understand some of it. I think you and I understand a fair part of it, but we're not defensive coordinators. We're not named Belichick or Cosell or anything like that. I'm open about that. I'm a smart guy who's watched a lot of football, but I am not a defensive or offensive coordinator. If they gave me that job, I'd be over my head. Let's face it. So attribution is really difficult of why a play succeeds, you know, and who did their job and who didn't do their job and who would be great in certain situations. Again, you know, Randy Moss went to Oakland and was just a guy. I mean, part of that might've been the, the losing culture kind of, you know, maybe held him down a little bit, but, and what makes this year very unusual is, yeah, you know, all these coaching changes, right? But this also, I think in the fantasy era, Andy, this is the year where we've had the, the heaviest player movement at skill positions. I can't remember a year where more marquee players are on different teams, all these receivers, you know, Hill and, and Adams and AJ Brown and, and all down the list. So we have to make a guesswork because football's all about environment and all about how you fit in the system and all this stuff. And we're just guessing on a lot of these things. And we're like, oh yeah, I can tell you how Devontae Adams is going to play. He was with Derek Carr 18 years ago at Fresno State. You know, no, <laughs> no problem. You know, Tyreek Hill's going to a team where we don't know if the quarterback's any good. A.J. Brown's going to a team where we don't know if the quarterback's any good. We're doing a lot of guessing. And that's what new coaching in the NFL, let's be honest, it's really about taking an educated guess. And we're going to be wrong on a lot of this stuff. And a lot of it is unknowable right now. 
Yeah, just to uh, uh, to underscore your point um, about the difficulty of sort of isolating individual performance. Well, I do want to shout out, you know, uh, like Matt Harmon does tremendous work, and we've talked about it before with reception perception. It is it is probably. I don't know, in, in recent memory within the fantasy space, it's and outside the fantasy space, it's one of the most ambitious attempts to actually isolate individual performance from something, you know, it's so hard to do in the NFL for the reasons that you've already explained, right? We, we just have a very, very difficult time picking it out because it's, the, the answer is never any one thing, right? It's not, it's not just the individual receiver or the running back or whatever. It's the, it's the scheme and it's the line and it's the, you know, it's the coaching staff and it, it's a million different things um, in concert. And yet we still like to have, you know, who's the goat arguments. And it's really, really difficult in the NFL because we can't, we can't isolate individual performance so well, but, but uh, shout out to reception perception, which does as good a job as anything, uh, at least at the, at the receiver position, but for sure. Plus, plus, plus it rhymes. Plus it rhymes. It rhymes. Too, so it's yeah, re- really it's, easy to market. You know, it is wonderful. If it were, if it were recep- reception breakdown, you know, not nearly <laughs> as good. Um, you know, so we have great work. I, how much time do you think he, that takes him? To break down all those routes, man. I mean, I can't believe he got married. This is this, the Harmon. The Harmon divorce. The Harmon divorce will be about reception perception, and then and then his wife will want like half of the reception perception royalty. I mean, and, I assume she's expected to chart games. <laughs> yeah, probably in the honeymoon, right? That's they probably yeah. go. That's their business. Um, that's entirely their business. But I assume that's you know that's that's what we love understood. talking Harmon wedding here. Remember, we were giving him. We were trying to register them at the Rams Pro Shop. You know, like two months ago. So uh, shout out to the the newlyweds, and I hope you're in wedded bliss. And um, you know, I, I hope uh, you know, I hope you're running the your route combinations in perfect harmony. <laughs> we have uh, we have we have ten teams in the NFL uh, in 2022 with new head coaches. So I'm gonna. I'm going to go down this list, and I just want you to tell me which uh, which of the teams that I mention um, you you really feel differently about in a positive way this year compared to your your feelings at the end of 2021. So it's the it's the Bears. I think I know your answer there. It's the Broncos, the Texans, the Jaguars, the Raiders, the Dolphins, the Vikings, uh, the Saints, the Bucks, and the team that we're going to be uh, discussing at length today, the New York Giants. Who are you feeling best about from that list because of the coaching change? Oh, the Jaguars jump out. Yeah. Just, again, yeah. escaping Urban Meyer. And I can't believe that every scout was wrong on Trevor Lawrence. Um, they've added pieces that are interesting. Uh, ETN comes back. Interesting player. Um, I think they have a chance to be like a fun. They're not going to go to the playoffs or anything like that. Although I know some people like them as a long shot to win the division. I think the Colts have already won that division. But I think the Jaguars could be a fun, silly you know, carnival of a, like a six and 11 team. I'm still getting used to this 17 game schedule, but um, so the Jaguars jump out and the giants for a lot of the same reasons, you know, they had a, a clown car of coaching, you know, judge and, and Garrett over their head. And over the last two months of the season, they were one of the worst f- offenses I can remember. They were scoring a touchdown a week. They were great. You know, everybody in DFS was streaming against them. Everybody. The, was, I mean, the Mike you, Glennon weeks were hilarious. Um, the conservatism of the offense was was shocking. You were trying. You were picking up defenses you know, ahead of schedule, a week or two ahead of schedule, because you had the Giants coming up. That's just how nasty it was. But so they jump out. I'm, I'm also curious, just just because Minnesota's changed coaches, and because they have Justin Jefferson and they have, you know, a healthy, presumably a healthy Irv Smith, you know, we're always looking for a tight end breakout. I'm, I'm just curious to see conceptually what they do with those guys. Um, 
a lot of the touchdowns, again, this, you know, this is where Harmon could really speak well to it. You know, the touchdowns from close range have been Adam Thielen's. I don't see any reason why Justin Jefferson can't get in on that too. Kirk Cousins is still a plus quarterback. He's a frustrating guy for a lot of people because he's never going to be the MVP of the league, but he's certainly better than league average. So it's like, yes. are, you, are you better off you know, having Kirk Cousins for in perpetuity and you know, maybe making the playoffs, but never going deep? Or do you need something better than that? But you know, so many teams in the league would love to have a Kirk Cousins. Um, because Justin Jefferson is such a fascinating player to me and somebody who I could take as early as two or three overall in the draft. I'm curious to see what the new coaching staff does with him. But uh, those are some of the things that, jumped out to me. The thing with the Broncos is I know the coaching staff changed, but that that's just that offense is overwhelmed by the quarterback change. Yep. You know, I see the Broncos and think, okay, Russell Wilson's coming in. I'm really curious to see who Josh McDaniels is in his second run as a coach. And I've again I've said this is a little bit of a repeat, but he's really followed this Belichick script to a T, right? I mean Belichick goes to the Browns, runs a little bit hot, has a little bit of success, but ultimately is, you know, doesn't work out. Well, McDaniels went to the Broncos, had a little bit of success, ran a little bit too hot. Ultimately, it didn't work out. Then Belichick takes the job with the Jets for like a 10 seconds, says, no, 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 I really don't want this job, bails. McDaniels takes the Colts job for 10 seconds, says, no, you know, I actually don't want this job, bails. <laughs> and then Belichick gets his last chance in New England. He wasn't going to get another head coaching job. That didn't work out. And of course, it, it was it worked famously. And we know the rest of that story. You know, Now McDaniels, who you would think has maybe learned a few things. And the Belichick tree, I mean, you talked about Andy Reid, you know, when Nagy came to Chicago, oh, we got a piece of the Andy Reid tree. I mean, Belichick's a great coach, um, but doesn't mean Joe Judge was a great coach. It certainly didn't make Matt Patricia a great head coach, although the Patriots welcomed him back in the coaching staff really quickly. You know, you wonder sometimes with these Belichick coaches, if, if they focus on the wrong things, they see Belichick being kind of pesky with the media and think, okay, that's how you do this thing. You know, I mean, it's more about, the things that we don't see and the attention, the detail and all the small things. But I think McDaniels is a fascinating guy in, in a year where they add the marquee receiver. I think Derek Carr is a better than average quarterback. They have good skill talent. You, you tried to sell everybody today on Josh Jacobs. I'm not going to share that optimism with Jacobs because I don't like the offensive line, but I think the Raiders could be a really fun team. And I, I still think McDaniels can be a great offensive coach. Also, how much does McDaniels keep of the offensive responsibility versus being a CEO coach? Stuff we can't answer right now. I'm curious to see what happens in, in uh, I almost said Oakland, in Vegas with that Raiders team, which it should be the AFC West should be the most fun watch in football this year. Okay, you've you've hit on some really interesting stuff here, and it's stuff that I wanted to talk about. And I like that you sort of gave us the framing of the Belichick coaching tree because I, I wanted to talk about that as well. Um, how to get into this. I So McDaniels and and Brian Dable both part of this tree and a, and a a real chance, I think, to, to change the, the narrative about it as well, because you, you know, you mentioned Joe judge. Um, you think of that when you think of the Belichick tree, it's, it's Patricia and it's Mangini, right. And it's Joe judge and it's Weiss and it's Romeo. And it's like, it's a lot of names that haven't had staggering success in the, in the head coaching position. I'm, I'm not sure there have been two guys that have resumes that are that are as good as as McDaniel's and Dable, right? When we think about Brian Dable, you know, he's 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 been an OC and he's been the he's been the OC who was on hand for the ascendance of of Josh Allen. So that's one thing. You know, he was an OC for Alabama, right? He's got he's got like a like a national title ring tied to that hurts to a team. Um, that was really fun. He's got he's got five rings from his time with New England. Um, so incredible coaching resume. And then McDaniels, I want to say, has six Super Bowl rings. And he was on hand for like the 07 Patriots, which was just an absolute Death Star offense. 
he's been a wonderful coordinator, had his moments as a head coach, but as you say, um, it did not end particularly well. There's always this, there's always this temptation to say that whatever we just saw under this guy in his previous coaching position, that's exactly what he's going to carry into the new job. And I feel like it doesn't always work that way. That's actually been, that's been part of the argument against Josh Jacobs with the Raiders, right? Is that people, people look at the distribution of touches in the new England backfield, like last year, even though, you know, uh, one of the backs was, was half injured for most of the season. And they say, okay, well, it's obviously going to be a committee backfield because that's what Josh McDaniels is. But you can go back to the last time he was a head coach and no Sean Moreno got every touch he could possibly handle, right? So I don't know that it's that clear. But I do want to generally talk about both McDaniels um, and, and whether there's anything that we can, you know, it feels like it was a million years ago. It feels like, you know, a, a different career of mine when Josh McDaniels was a head coach, but it wasn't really that long ago. Is there anything that we can take away from from his from his period of time in Denver uh, and, and spin forward to whatever kind of head coach he's going to be with the Raiders. And then it's an unanswerable question about Brian Dable, but we mentioned it before, like to what extent was he responsible for Josh Allen's success? I haven't gone back to Denver to look at McDaniels's preferences, tendencies there. I don't think they apply. The best coaches in football work personnel to scheme. Yeah, They don't try to force their scheme into their personnel. And I think McDaniels is smart enough to realize that. He's going to play with the pieces he has and try to make them fit. And it's not – it frustrates me when people will be like, oh, you know, th this coach loves to feature the tight end. It's like, well, maybe he has a star tight end, and that's why he's doing that, you know. Um, or, or we'll say we'll, – we'll say and we look at, oh, this, this, this team can't stop the tight end. It's like, well, they just played Travis Kelsey and George Kittle the last two weeks. Nobody stops those guys, you Yeah. Know? Um, this, this was my thing when, you know, I can't believe I got myself thinking about, you know, back in the day when, when people said that Trey Burton was going to fill the Travis Kelsey role, maybe Kelsey isn't a role. Maybe, maybe he's a uniquely talented player. Yeah. I, I like to fill the Travis Kelsey role with Travis Kelsey. It's always been the <laughs> yeah, yeah. way I've handled that. Nobody, nobody also, does it with better. The, with respect to the Belichick tree, the one other guy we have to mention, and he's kind of a forgotten person right now because he's, he's in the middle of, you know, wherever his career is going to take him. But I thought Brian Flores was doing a heck of a job, job. in Miami. Yeah, and absolutely. Obviously, there was a power struggle there, and, and he got let go for reasons unrelated to his success as a head coach in Miami. I would, I would still hire that guy in a second, and and he's a guy who also had the seemed capable of flipping the Belichick coaching tree narrative. Seem seem like but a guy you'd want to play for, honestly. For sure, for sure. I'm big Brian Flores guy, and um, I'm not sure what's going to be next for him, but I, I think he. Lost a power struggle in Miami. It had nothing to do with him being a quality coach, quality person. And again, you know, so I'm a member of the Belichick tree who was actually succeeding. But I feel I feel like Dable and McDaniels are going to do well in these jobs. And granted, I say that with a little bit of hesitancy because in the NFL, when you give an opinion on anything, it's just so hard. It's so much harder to be successful at something or something to work than it is to fall apart. If you were just to fade everything, your hit rate would be a lot better. <laughs> Oh, everybody sucks. Everybody stinks. Everybody's going to be in the lottery. Everybody's going to be rebooting their quarterback. Everybody's going to be changing their coach every two or three years. That's how most teams work. You know, very few, there are very few Andy Reid, Bill Belichick stories, you know, and most Mike Tomlin, right. You know, that long run he's had in Pittsburgh, another guy, man, I would, I would, I would vote for Mike Tomlin, let alone hire Mike Tomlin, but it's just so hard. It's so, it's so much harder to be good than it is to stink. So I say with a little bit of, you know, nervousness that 
to call something, to say I'm excited about something, I think something's going to work. You know you're kind of taking the wrong end of it, the wrong side of it. But I, I think the Raiders' offense is going to be good. I don't know if the Raiders will be good. And remember, they were a playoff team last year, so it's not like they're starting from nowhere. You know, they have pieces, and they just added a really big piece in Adams. Um, I'm excited to draft Hunter Renfro this year. I'm not, not, not as excited to draft Darren Waller, but I think they're going to have a really fun team. It might be a fun 8-9 and nine or 9-8 nine and eight team or 7-10 and 10 team, but again, that's the division I'm most excited to watch. Yeah, fully agree with you on that. I I feel like I've feel like I've now avoided the Giants long enough, and we should we should probably get into it. Just such a such an absolutely vexing team last year, right? Uh, we, we can start with like additions and subtractions. They have brought in. I mean, these are not particularly exciting names. They've brought in Tyrod Taylor. They've brought in Matt Breida. They've brought in. Well, maybe there's something to be had with Ricky Seals Jones. We can talk about that. The offensive line, which was a mess last year, has. I don't like it's reshuffled uh, as many as four new starters. I want to say um, I, I don't know to what extent it's better, but it's different. And that can't be bad. I guess um, they draft Wandale Robinson, who uh, is a super interesting player, right? He's, he's small, probably going to play the slot. He was a, a one man wrecking crew at the collegiate level at Kentucky. He'd been a he'd been a running back. It feels like forever ago for for Nebraska before that. Right. Like he's occupied different roles. He's been he's been a star in those roles. So I think Wandell could get pretty interesting, but it's a crowded receiving core as well. Guys who are out, uh, notable names, both Evan Ingram and Kyle Rudolph, no longer in New York. Uh, Devontae Booker made a splash for a second last year. Um, he's no longer in New York. So there's we're back to this team putting a lot on the shoulders, seemingly of Saquon Barkley, who who wasn't very good last year. Right. He wasn't he wasn't very good in terms of surface level stats and he wasn't very good in terms of, you know, the the sort of deeper dive stats. Right. He he went down on first contact all the time, um, never broke a big play, basically uh, did not in any way look like the the rookie season version of Saquon Barkley. That is a concern. I guess we can start though with uh, with Daniel Jones. Um, I, I don't know a better place to start. It's the most important position. It is where uh, I would imagine Giants fans have have sort of put the most faith in Brian Dable, right? Like you're you're supposed to be a quarterback whisperer to some extent. Um, maybe that's unfair, but Daniel Jones obviously doesn't have all of the raw, raw tools. Arguably, has none of the raw tools of Josh Allen. Uh, he's a pretty good runner. It's been an awfully long time, I think, since Daniel Jones has thrown even three touchdown passes in a game. Um, I don't know that we can expect a huge passing season, but I don't know. Is Daniel Jones a guy that I'm not even going to ask if you're targeting him in traditional leagues? I don't think in a one quarterback league, anybody's messing around with Daniel Jones. But do you have a super flex interest in Daniel Jones? What's a what's a reasonable expectation for him this year? Yeah, I do have. In the two quarterback or super flex space, I do have interest in Daniel Jones because he's young enough to still have the whiff of upside. He's a good athlete. He's a willing and capable runner. I don't mind the skill talent here, and it's possible. The coaching should probably be better just because of who they got rid of, and it's possible that maybe maybe Dable is that rare, you know, Sean McVay type of hire. It's, it's possible. It's There's a chance of it. I mean, it's like 5 or 10% chance we have to bake that in, so... I'm open-minded to Daniel Jones possibly having a breakout year. And that's that's the way we have to frame this, right? I mean, it isn't it isn't binary. It isn't like, is Daniel Jones going to be good this year? Yes, no. It's all about range of outcomes and what is what is your buy-in cost? You know, what's the ADP on him? Are you picking him up as, as a late pick or for a dollar in, in a salary cap draft? Are you 
picking him off waivers and maybe week one or week two, something like that. Your buy-in on Daniel Jones is going to be very small. It's going to be probably the smallest buy-in you make. And there is a reasonable path to him being somewhere, finishing somewhere like between quarterback 11 and quarterback 15. That's in range for him. That's in play for him. So if I were, if I, if I were in a super flex league and had a really good first starter, the thing with Jones is you're going to get him as a lottery ticket where you hope it can pop. And again, you're getting him at such a low acquisition cost. If it doesn't pop, it doesn't kill you. I mean, what hurts is that you're taking him over somebody else. Maybe you took him over Justin Fields. Maybe you took him over I guess Trey Lance is in a different, um, different area of, of the draft, but you, maybe you took him over Trevor Lawrence, something like that. And at the end of the season, you look back and say, oh, I, you know, I should have had Lawrence. That was the guy to get, or I should have had fields or whoever it was, but, um, or maybe Jared Goff, you know, maybe things come together with him that the lions have interesting skill talent. We talked about them last week, but I think Daniel Jones still is, I'm not willing to say a lot of people think the jury is in on Daniel Jones can't play, you know, don't move on, get, get your next quarterback. I, I haven't given up on him. I still think they have interesting receiver talent and is a possibility that maybe Dable is one of the rare coaches who actually makes a difference and, you know, becomes somebody maybe, you know, in five years from now, we're trying to look at the Brian Dable tree. I think there's a possibility that actually happens. These, uh, you, you mentioned the the receivers on this team. Um, they're like, they're, they're sneaky good, I guess. Like uh, Slayton might even, Slayton might be a guy that they have to release because they have so many other guys and, and, and Darius Slayton's had some good games. Kenny Galladay, uh, like it wasn't that long ago that Kenny Galladay was a thousand yard receiver who could turn almost anything into a big play. Sterling Shepard went healthy. Very good. I mentioned Wandale Robinson, the rookie Kadarius Tony last year had two games that were like, unlike almost anything else that we saw at the position all season. And other than that, he was hurt and he was quiet. But like when he flashed, he looked like a star. Uh, so how do you prioritize this receiving core? Have you have you made any sort of investment in these guys so far? I will tell you that I have a couple of Galladay shares simply because he plummets in drafts. Right. And and I don't think he's I don't think he's so old that he can't recapture what we saw in Detroit. I'm mystified by him, but I think there's a good player in there somewhere. Yeah, I, I agree with what you said on Galladay. I'm drafting these guys reactively, not proactively. It's a case of, and it sounds like what you're doing with Galladay. It's not so much that I'm pushing people out of the way for Galladay. It's that I'm waiting for the rest of the room to shrug and not want them. And then I'm like, okay, this has, got, this has gone on long enough. I'll, I'll take Galladay. Yeah. As somebody who profiles to a player on my bench, if he works out great, if he doesn't, he's one of my early cuts. I can live with that. Problem with Shepard is he might not be ready for opening day. And it's just hard, you know, me with injury optimism. It's just hard for me to draft somebody, especially because Shepard, we, we have to be honest, his ceiling isn't that high. I mean, if you're going to draft a player like that, you better think that his ceiling is something that can be a real difference maker, needle mover. And nobody feels that way about Shepard, although he's a nice player when he's healthy. Certainly win in the middle of the field. Tony, the, the funny thing about Tony is that. I'm reluctant to compare anybody to Odell Beckham, but that's the best moments of his rookie year. Remind me of rookie year Beckham, where just the lateral agility and the the ability to do things with the lower half of his body that most of us just can't even imagine. It was fun. Um, and also, like Beckham, he was hurt for a decent chunk of the year, and um, you, there was a wait-and-see approach to it. Um, we know none of these guys got in the end zone last year very much. I think collectively they had like one touchdown. But um, again, I'm willing to blame a lot of that on the previous regime. Tony at least... Again, when you're drafting your bench receivers, you're looking for plausible upside, right? You're not trying to hit a single, although occasionally you, know, you take a Jacoby Myers, you hit your single, that's fine. You, you can sprinkle some of that in. 
But for the most part, you're looking for somebody who can significantly outkick what their ADP is or what their ranking is. And you know, guys like Tony and Galladay, I think, fit that profile really well. Yeah, I haven't pulled the trigger on Tony yet, um, but I, it's going to happen at some point. I feel like there's somebody in a draft that's always a little bit more bullish than me. But what a, like, I mean, they were talking about him as a trade ship this offseason, which just seems crazy because he was so electric last year when he was when he was healthy. Let me get let me get your thoughts on Saquon Barkley, too. And I think I kind of know what they are because um, we've we've talked about him a fair amount. And you, you've made the point before that, man, you know, you can be 25, 26 years old uh, at the running back position and be just about cooked. Right. Like we we see it all the time that these guys, you know, they don't they don't even always make it to a second contract as the as the the rookie year version of themselves. And Barkley was a. Barkley was a really tough watch last year. Everybody recovers from, you know, uh, significant knee injuries and knee surgery differently. It's not implausible that Saquon Barkley would would make it back to the some sort of Pro Bowl version of a of a running back. Um, we're we're going through the thing again with Barkley where there are like images or videos of him in off-season workouts that are getting people excited. This is like my least favorite thing about the NFL off-season. Last year with Barkley, it was the beach video. Remember, he was cutting through like little orange rings or something on a beach somewhere. This year, there's like a like a shirtless on-field workout thing that has people like, oh, look, he's in the best shape of his life. I don't know. Obviously, none of that matters. What matters is whether he can break a tackle, which he just didn't do at all last year. So I guess, I guess this is a long way of asking, like, at what point would you actually, uh, would you actually pull the trigger on Saquon? Are you, are you out entirely? I mean, we're always reluctant to say hard, hard in, hard out on players. It comes down to what the acquisition cost is, what the ADP is, but I haven't seen, I haven't been in a draft yet. And to be fair, I haven't drafted as much as I usually have by this time this year. Um, Best ball and Michigan aren't really in a great space right now, (laughs) but I'm not seeing I'm not seeing opportunities to draft Barkley at prices that tempt me. I, he's going there's somebody there's a Barkley sympathizer, there's a Barkley optimist that feels like in every room. So I haven't considered him once and I don't think I'm going to draft him a lot this year. I think I probably will end the season with no Barkley. I don't want to make that a hard no because it, if the market comes down, I mean, you know, a, a couple of weeks ago I was talking about Alvin Kamara's ADP making no sense, but the market has started to correct. And he's been pushed back like another round. And it's like, okay, now it's a different conversation. I feel like there are Barkley believers out there and people who are willing to stake their first or second round pick on Barkley. I, I, Chris List, I think, took him third overall in the draft. That's not me, man. That's not going to be me. So I think I'm going to be underweight on Barkley for sure. Yeah, I'm actually looking. I'm looking at NFC ADP right now, and uh, which would, would you believe Saquon Barkley goes ahead of like? I, obviously, I don't believe it. Um, he's he's going ahead of Nick Chubb. Uh, he's going ahead. I would of, never do that. That's a bad idea. Take Nick Chubb. That's a terrible idea, right? Like that's an objectively terrible idea based on based on who each of those players were last year. I can't imagine taking Saquon Barkley over Nick Chubb, but that is in fact the player that he goes. Immediately I would take Barkley of. over Aaron Jones. I, I you know, I, who are some of the other guys? In the yeah, Barkley I'm, I'm looking at the guys immediately after him. It's it's Nick Chubb, Leonard Fournette, Mike Evans, who scores every game, uh, and then it's Josh Allen. AJ Brown, Cam. Okay, like Cam Akers, Saquon Barkley is a little bit of a discussion because Cam Akers wasn't very good in the playoffs either, right? And is also coming off a major injury. Uh, and then it's a bunch of receivers that I, you know, Keenan Allen. Ke- Keenan Allen catches 100 balls a year. 
T Higgins, plausible upside there. Uh, James Connor coming a little bit later. All the all the top tier quarterbacks. I don't know. It's interesting. Brees Hall is going uh, sixteen picks later. That's a. Uh, I can't tell you that I wouldn't rather have Brees Hall than Saquon Barkley based on the player that Barkley was last year. Oh man, I, I want Brees. I'm not getting Brees Hall, and it's frustrating because there's a guy who I really want to draft, and I'm just falling into slots where the last opportunity I get the draft hall, he doesn't make sense yet. And then he goes before I pick again. Yeah. There's a guy I really, and, and go back to last week where Liz Loza and Mike Salfino did a great job breaking down the jets. And they were both, um, I think they're in full agreement that Brees Hall was the guy to get. There's a guy I have circled and I haven't, I may have to start making FOMO picks on Brees Hall because I haven't gotten <laughs> him yet, but Barkley, you know, and you, you said it earlier, you alluded to, and this is definitely my kind of rule of thumb here is that star running back windows, almost never stay open as long as we think. And one minute, David Johnson, Todd Gurley, Le'Veon Bell, Barkley, you know, God, McCaffrey might be in that discussion too. One minute, these guys are on the magazine covers. And then like, you know, Le'Veon Bell's out of the league and Todd Gurley's out of the league and David Johnson is in the league, but, you know, you have to really squint to see him. And it's just the game is not friendly to running backs into the mid to, to late 20s. And there's a lot of guys, that 2017 rookie class, probably the best running back rookie class of all time. You know, a lot of these guys, they're, they're coming into their second deals. And, you know, it, it, you have some hard discussions. Uh, again, Kamara is on my fade list for a lot of different reasons. And um, suspension is part of it. But his efficiency really tanked last year. And, you know, without Breeze, now without Peyton, I, it's hard for me to, to feel that probably the worst offensive line he's had too in his time in New Orleans. Alvin Kamara is a big no draft for me. And again, with Barkley, I, I don't know if it's because he went to Penn State and they have a really strong, you know, alumni and, and following or the, he's on the Giants team that, you know, obviously the people are passionate about that fan base and uh, that team, the fan base is passionate. And it's, um, you know, New York market and all that stuff. But people remember that Barkley, again, he was on magazine covers two or three years ago and this is no fun to, to think like an actuary, right? I mean, the actuary tells you, okay, this is how long you're going to die, you're going to live, when you're going to die, how much life insurance you need, stuff like that. Nobody wants to talk about that. You know, we, we all want to live till we're 106, you know, um, going to gonna beat my age on the golf course and all that stuff. But <laughs> you have to think like an actuary with running backs. It's no fun. It's no fun to say, okay, this guy's going to break down. This guy's going to not be valuable. This guy is, maybe they shouldn't re-sign him. I don't want to talk like that. I'd like to see Saquon Barkley be a star for 10 to 12 years. It just, we just know that the actuary approach is more pragmatic for fantasy. And again, I say that with zero joy because I don't, I don't want to ding these guys. And also I have great respect for what it takes to have the nerve to go out there in a game where your career can end on any snap, you know, these guys deserve the money they make and I have great admiration for their skills, but we have to be realistic about it too. When we break it down. I, I would like to think that the reason for the bullishness uh, overall on Barkley is not so much, you know, yeah, I mean, you mentioned the New York factor. It's probably a factor. Uh, he's been a high profile player. He's been a, you know, a most important player in fantasy uh, type of guy in the in the past, the distant past, but the past. I think it's that there's there's just I mean, you look at the backfield depth chart and there's just not anything there. Um, it's pretty clear that the the plan for this team and they're probably one of like five teams in the league is like this, um, that that's like this. They they would love to give him 
all of the snaps and all of the touches that he can handle. And there's just not very many backfields where you can look at it and say, oh yeah, they want to give 350 touches to one guy. Um, we've talked about it before. There were only, there were only four backs last year who, who saw 300 touches. One of them was Antonio Gibson. And the plan is clearly not to give him 300 touches again, right? There's just not many guys who are even in line for this sort of workload. So I imagine that is bumping his price into, into the second round. I'm not comfortable with him in the second round, but I, I at least understand that side of the argument. You know, it's it's the, the full workload running back is probably the rarest thing. And, a, and a, you know, it's a league winner when you hit on one and they actually hold up over the course of the full season. Um, but it, right now it's Jonathan Taylor. It's Najee Harris. It's it's Joe Mixon. It's not many other guys. Yeah, Derek Henry. Yeah. Another guy I'm nervous to draft, by the way, you find yourself getting a lot of Derek Henry this year. Yeah, we've you and I talked about this. Um, it's the it's the point in a draft where I always seem to talk myself into Justin Jefferson or, or Jamar Chase, right? Like I sure I just love those two. Jefferson in particular, it's so you know, it's it's ridiculous to forecast a Cooper Cup like season for anybody in the NFL. It just doesn't happen. It's historically it's a total outlier season. We can never expect it. Cup himself will surely never do it again. But like if there's one guy that I'm tempted to to actually project for like 1700 1800 yards 115 125 catches it's it's Jefferson it's Jefferson in what might just be a little bit more pass friendly offense you mentioned the notion that there's no reason that Justin Jefferson can't be catching some of these you know goal to go touchdowns um it's just so easy to see a a, a leap from a player like that who's so young and has already shown us so much um, that I like invariably when the names in queue are like Derrick Henry and Justin Jefferson, I've been veering toward Justin Jefferson, but that's not really a, in the moment, it doesn't feel like me avoiding Henry. It just feels like me running to Jefferson. Sure. For sure. That's how I feel about Jefferson. I feel that way about Chase too. And, you know, much like the Patriots fans have cleansed their palates with the kill Harry being traded. I hope the Eagles fans can cleanse their palates with a Jalen Rager transaction oh. soon because just the presence of Rager, it's impossible to separate him from Jefferson. Jefferson was the next pick and nobody understood it at the time. The Eagles had their reasons for yeah. talking to themselves. This is, here's the fantasy takeaway. Don't talk yourself into picks, right? The Eagles talked themselves into Rager, right? Like, well, he really wasn't playing with a good quarterback and the team wasn't good and you know, if you squint and, and you make excuses, you can see that he can do this and do that. And he fits the type of profile we play. You know, wait, wait, wait. Here's Justin Jefferson at LSU, who's just putting up video game numbers in a very competitive conference. That's the right pick. It's Occam's razor. The simplest explanation is usually the right one, right? You take nothing from this, from this podcast. Take out Occam's razor. And uh, Justin Jefferson was the right pick. They went with Rager. And that's going to haunt that franchise and that fan base for a long time because Justin Jefferson guys, they, they come around, you know, every 15 or 20 years. So yeah. here's your chance. In the 2019 NFL Draft, the New York Giants select Daniel Jones. Oh, no! We are fortunate enough to be joined today by Art Stapleton taking a few minutes out of his busy day uh, to talk to us. Art, in case you don't know, 
is, listen, if, if you follow one Giants reporter, it should be Art Stapleton. Uh, he is uh, he does magnificent work for The Record, for NorthJersey.com. He's the host of All In with Art Stapleton, wonderful podcast that you should be listening to for Giants information. He will occasionally on Twitter uh, throw out a totally reasonable Yankees trade proposal. Uh, it is it is a joy to be joined by Art Stapleton. Uh, Art, thank you for taking some time. Andy, there is no guy I go to uh, earlier than you and your fantasy stuff. It's been for years. So this is a joy for me as well to be on this and uh, talk Giants. Uh, this is very kind of you to say, I will give you a list later of the people that you should actually be going to, but uh, it's, it's, it's really kind <laughs> of you Maybe that's why I haven't won a league in a while. <laughs> that's, the, that's the kicker that I always get. Yeah. When people say, oh, I really enjoy your stuff. Someday I'll win a league. Yeah. I hear that occasionally. <laughs> Um, first question, I guess, right off the bat about the, about the giants, just give us a, a general sense, um, for what the coaching change has meant, right? Um, what's different about team culture that you've been made aware of what's different about sort of the collective outlook of the team. I'm, I'm sure there's a segment of the fan base that fully expects Brian Dable to just turn Daniel Jones into Josh <laughs> Allen by October. So what's the, what's the mood around the team? Well, I, I think first off, the the mood with with Dable and, and Joe Shane, from my perspective, is, is that I've been through this before. You know, Tom Coughlin leaves 2016. Ben McAdoo comes in as the head coach, and it's been Ben McAdoo for two years or less than two years, and then Pat Shermer for two years, and now Joe Judge for two years, and now Brian Dable and Joe Shane come in, and all the fans are like, "Hey, everything's new, everything's great," and I think I've learned to just kind of pump the brakes a little bit and try to take more of a global view as to see where they are. Uh, I don't think there's any question that when the Giants went in into this head coaching search, they wanted a head coach with an offensive background. And obviously that was Brian Dable. Uh, they're away from the idea of the adult in the room, which is what Pat Shermer was, or the CEO, which was what Joe Judge was hired as. Uh, so, look, I think Dable and Joe Shane have struck the right tone. I think the fact that they're both coming together from Buffalo, it's kind of in lockstep. We've seen what's happened the last four years uh, with Dave Gettleman as general manager, and I don't expect us to, to go in and break down all the moves that went poorly because there are a lot of them. But that's kind of the optimism from the fan base. Now, offensively and for our purposes talking fantasy, with Dable, look, it's it's certainly not as simple as saying, well, look what he did with Josh Allen. He's going to do that with Daniel Jones. Any any smart fan, and I believe there are a lot of smart and reasonable Giants fans who don't expect that, but between Dable and Mike Kafka coming in as a first-time offensive coordinator, they've talked a lot about kind of blending those two systems together. And if you're going to blend any systems in the league to get a fan base excited about the possibility, it would be the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs. So <laughs> for Dable going into training camp, I think that's kind of what everyone wants to see is that how do they take the elements of those two offenses and kind of put a new face on an offense that even though they promised a lot of the modern stuff under Jason Garrett, it did not deliver anywhere close to that. So that would be my long-winded answer about Dable is I think there's an excitement now that whatever they talk behind the scenes is going to 
show up on the field in terms of pre-snap motion and a lot of movement, guys moving around. You didn't see that with Jason Garrett a lot. They talked a lot about it, but then when the games came, you didn't see it. And I think that's kind of what Dable has this team believing it's going to be offensively. Well, a dash of modern offense sounds sounds pretty good to me as somebody who just invests in the Giants for fantasy purposes. One <laughs> one thing that will occasionally uh, be the undoing of a team with big plans is an offensive line that can't block any of it. How are we feeling about yeah. the the rebuilt offensive line? Well, certainly there's going to be a lot of attention to the rookie at right tackle with Evan Neal. Uh, his first day of rookie minicamp, he was put at right tackle, and I don't think he's left right tackle so in an ideal world Andrew Thomas who somehow still gets slammed for inconsistencies and struggles that he had as a rookie people kind of missed him last year in terms of the growth that he had as a player and the Giants certainly missed him when he went out uh, with an injury in the middle of the season so uh, I think they'll be good on the bookends I think Thomas Neil may struggle a little bit but he's certainly not going to be the black hole that the Giants have had probably going all the way back to when Justin Pugh filled in at right tackle. Uh, There's a lot of question marks up the middle. You know, they, they signed John Feliciano, who is, uh, I don't think it's a negative to call him a journeyman in this league, uh, but he was with the bills. They believed in him. He's making the move to center, which I think familiarity in Dable's offense will help him, but that's a huge question mark. You know, if Feliciano hits a home run, and and it, I don't think anyone would anticipate him making a run for the Pro Bowl, that's not a knock on John. But if he's an average center, it gives them a little stability. And then they sign Mark Lewinsky, who is really their their one big signing uh, in the offseason, being strapped with the cap. Uh, if Glowinski can play well at right guard, uh, and then Feliciano is the big question at at center. Uh, You may have Shane Lemieux right now uh, entering his third year. He had a patellar injury last year, tried playing beginning of the season, got knocked out. Maybe he's there. Uh, Josh Zidu uh, from North Carolina is a rookie. Maybe he gets an opportunity at left guard, but still a work in progress. But I think this offensive line, especially at the tackle position will be much better for this team to develop uh, an offense. I think the Giants kind of have been plugging holes for years now. I think what they have now at the tackle position with Thomas and Neal gives them a great starting point. Glowinski will be a solid veteran. Feliciano, to me, is the question at center. If he can do the job and does it well, then this offensive line will take a huge step forward. What is the what is the level of excitement about maybe maybe excitement is even too strong a word, but about Saquon Barkley another year removed from injury, right? He was um he wasn't he wasn't great last year. Uh no. I, I don't think anybody would argue with that. Three point seven yards per carry, I believe only twenty missed tackles forced on the season. Very few of his rush attempts went for went for even double digit yardage. Um, but we're, you know, it's it should still be okay for players to take some time to to recover and and rehab a significant injury. It used to be, I don't know, back in the day, like we would give a guy more than 12 months to to yeah. get better. And we realized that sometimes it would take two years to get fully back to health. Is there is there hope that we're going to see the 2018 version of Barkley again or someone close to it, even the 2019 version? 
you know what? I think there is hope. I mean, the Giants have hope. They certainly watching the uh, handful of spring practices that we watched uh, this year, Saquon was out there for all of them. He was looking at full speed. They're moving him all around, lining him up in the slot, in motion, at wide receiver, in the backfield. So, you know, the the idea of having 91 receptions as a running back, as a rookie, doesn't necessarily seem like a, a myth right now. You know, maybe he does, <laughs> you know, become a factor in the passing game. Uh, one thing weird about Saquon's year last year is that he struggled early, they got to the New Orleans game down in New Orleans. And I would say for people who want to assess Saquon last year, go watch that New Orleans game against that New Orleans defense, which I left because the Giants ended up winning that game in overtime. And throughout the entire rest of the season, all was talked in New Orleans was, well, the offense was questionable, but that defense is really, really good. And I watched the Giants. Daniel Jones put up over 400 yards passing. Saquon Barkley caught a a long touchdown pass. He scored the game-winning touchdown on a run in overtime. Uh, He kind of looked like that vintage Saquon Barkley. The following week, I don't know if you remember this, Andy, was the Dallas debacle when the Giants lost Jones, Saquon, and Kenny Galladay in the first half in that just unbelievable turn of events that happened. They were 10-10 in that game, and then just the bottom fell out. But Saquon got hurt, not not because of his knee, not, not something that happened soft tissue. He stepped on a defender's foot as he was running a route, and the foot blew up. If you were watching the game, anyone who was watching you remembers. If not, go watch the game. It derailed any good feeling beyond that. And I think, look, sometimes guys are star-crossed, right? I mean, Saquon Barkley is, is, he came here, and I've written this a lot, he he came here as the the shining light, right? He was going to be the smile to Odell Beckham Jr.'s brooding. You know, Odell was just... (laughs) You know, Odell was beaten down at that point. It wasn't 2004, 2014, 15. Odell was tired of the losing, but Saquon was going to come and lift it up. And what's gone on for the last three years for Saquon has been brutal. So to answer your question, I'm not 100% sold that Saquon is going to be Saquon of 2019. Uh, But I do think he has a lot to prove. I think he knows that. I think he's got an offensive mind behind him that is going to commit to getting Saquon Barkley in space, which is where he he excels. But I think the biggest difference is that somebody is going to get Saquon Barkley in a, in a fantasy draft in the third round. And maybe it drops out. If you're outside of New York, maybe, you know, you're doing a league in Cal with a lot of friends from Cali, maybe Saquon <laughs> drops. That's the guy that at the end of the year, if Saquon Barkley hits, is going to be like, see, I told you guys, yeah. this is this is what was going to happen. I wrote in the spring that Saquon Barkley has an opportunity to make the Giants' decision very, very difficult about next year because he's going to be a free agent. The reality is, if you just assess it based on NFL standards of today and where the Giants are, I can't imagine that they give Saquon Barkley a big deal. You know, I can't imagine. So, part of me looks at it and says maybe somebody else will pay Saquon. Barkley and the Giants won't but if he goes out and becomes the player that they thought he could be and this team is better than what most people think now all of a sudden you have to start looking and say you know if Barkley puts up a Kamara type year from a couple of years ago where it was just an unbelievable he's the MVP of the of the 
the team. He has an opportunity to lead this team next year. You know what? Maybe that's Saquon Barkley kind of putting his stamp back. But right now, I, I'm a little hesitant. I agree with some of the people who say you got to watch, you got to wait and see. I don't think injuries are the, are the issue right now. I think it's the effectiveness. And can he learn some of the things that he started to learn back in 2019, the tough yards, you know, not being looked to bounce everything uh, because the bounce will be there. Uh, you have to learn how to play a little bit in the backfield. And a couple of years ago, his pass protection was horrible. Um, and I think if, if his pass protection is not good this year, I think that'll take away from his opportunities as well. You know, the, the last name that I want to get a quick thought on is, is Kadarius Tony. Um, because he, he had like, and it wasn't a lot of games, but it was like two or three games last year in which he literally looked like the most electric player in the NFL. Um, And then we went into the off season and there was a little bit of smoke about whether they were interested in trading him. Like, are they even committed to, to Tony? Um, So just a, a wildly high variance player in my view, but at his best was absolutely sensational. What do you think year two looks like? Yeah, I think you're right. I think everyone wants to go back again. I go back to that first Dallas game last year and Kadarius Tony had, I think it was 10 catches, 189 yards. Uh, You know, he was everything to that offense and it was, it was Mike Glennon at quarterback. So, you know, Kadarius Tony Tony is the only player who made Mike Glennon look like an NFL quarterback last year. (laughs) Um, But I do think Tony has a lot of upside, especially when you talk from a fantasy perspective, the injuries are a question mark. You know, it seemed like every time he had an opportunity to get going last year, he suffered some sort of injury that kind of knocked him back, knocked him out of the lineup. And that offense, by the time they reached, uh, the point where Daniel Jones got hurt in the win over the Eagles to, with the neck injury that knocked him out. Kadarius Tony just never found a rhythm and really never got back on the field. So he's somebody that, especially in a PPR league, the way Dable wants to use guys in space, you know, they drafted Wandell Robinson in the second round from Kentucky, two similar players, but I think that means that Tony is going to get some more time on the outside, uh, the way he runs his routes. You know, so I think Robinson and Tony on the same field might be pretty interesting, uh, but I'm high on Tony as long as he's healthy. And that obviously knocks him down a little bit uh, when you're drafting and looking for guys. But uh, I think Tony, if he's healthy, uh, he's a he's a guy you can stick in your lineup. And surprisingly, at the end of the week, you know, the Giants might not have a great team, but guys who drafted Kadarius Tony might look at it and go, boy, he, he's just fueling my team right now. I, <laughs> I, I didn't see it coming. That's the kind of player that Tony is, but there is that part where, uh, where, you know, if he does create drama and he's certainly one of those magnets for anything he does, you know, he, he loves posting on social media that gets him in trouble uh, and not anything bad per se but in today's social media you know you post song lyrics and all of a sudden everyone's trying to decipher the song lyrics was he talking about his quarterback was he talking about he didn't (laughs) say anything about you know the coach but somehow it's a it's a you know a knock against the coach so that's my take on Kadarius Tony I think Tony Saquon will get all the attention but Tony is the guy that if the Giants do well offensively you're going to want to have in your lineup uh, you know, beginning of November where, you know, you look at the Giants and say, boy, this, this Dable offense is better than we thought. Uh, and Tony is the guy 
making that making it happen. I, I really think that that's possible. Oh, that is a good positive fantasy note for us to go out on. Uh, huge thanks to you, Art, for stopping by to talk a, a little Giants football with us. Uh, everybody, you should be following him on Twitter at Art underscore Stapleton. Before we get out of here, give me give me a couple of thoughts on your you're probably not done yet, but let, let's talk about the Scott Fishbowl a little bit, because, you know, listen, if anybody listening to this podcast, you probably follow a bunch of different fantasy experts and we're probably all tweeting about the decisions that we're making in Fishbowl. Um, super fun league. We've had Scott Fish on the podcast before. Uh, it's a it's a format that like is not applicable to almost anything that anybody else plays, right? It's super flex, it's tight end premium scoring, which basically means that any good thing a tight end does, you get like bonus points for it. Um, so it just exaggerates the importance of a position that is already pretty scarce. Um, we're playing kickers in the flex. Like it's, it's super fun. The scoring rules are great, um, but it, it really dominates a lot of the social conversation right now within the within the fantasy space because it's a you know huge sprawling league, thousands of players, supports charity. It's a wonderful cause. Scott is an incredible commissioner. Um, and it's it's a really fun format. I'm I'm kind of I'm digging the team that I've drafted so far. I wonder how you're feeling. First of all, I always look at your teams and wonder how they allow you to do it. You know, get, get <laughs> somebody. Why is nobody ever in Barron's league and tries to ruin the Andy Barron's experience? They just let you assemble these juggernaut teams and you get these prices on players that I wish I could it's get. Superflex league. I started with Burrow. I had the fifth overall pick and they gave me Russell Wilson in round two. And I'm, I'm I mean, most like most drafts I've seen, Russell Wilson is like a late round one, you know, early, early round two at the turn sort of pick. He fell all the way to. That's uh, so wrong. I, I wanted Burrow three. He wasn't even available. But, but also the slowest person in the draft is always drafting next to me. But whatever. <laughs> um, the fishbowl is wonderful. Scott Scott Fish is just a mensch. He's just a great guy and, and somebody who gets it and, and wants to be the change in the world that he'd like to see. He just He stands for so many things that I'd like to stand for too. Uh, so kudos to him for doing all this and you know for commissioning a league of, of this gigantic size, which is – I'm not sure I have the personality for that, but uh, he's a great man and I appreciate you. What the listener should take from the fishbowl, and you kind of alluded to this, is don't look at the overall ADP because what Scott Fish does, and this is really fun, is he sets up a league. What his goal is, is to set up a league which enables as many different roster builds and positional builds as possible. So whatever position you you want to draft into, you want to be all Mike, you want Matt Harmony and go into his receivers and build a receiver team based team. You can do it. You can do the, the tried and true running back build, which you know we all got into fantasy doing. I started quarterback, quarterback. You started quarterback, quarterback. That works in this format. So you can't look at the overall ADP and apply it to your league. What you can do is you have the wisdom of a huge crowd of people. Look at the positional ADP. Look at the order the quarterbacks came off. Look at look at every position isolated, and there's your ADP to follow. Uh, there's your snapshot of what the perception is at that position. It's a very valuable thing to have. It's also cool. I don't know if you do this, Andy. Sometimes when I'll draft a player, drafted Elijah Mitchell, I'll just click on um, a Josh ADHD has this great tool that shows all this different data and breakdown of what's going on in the fishbowl. And you can click on who's drafted a certain player. So sometimes I'll draft a player and I'll say, okay, who, who's on the bus with me? Who, who, who do I share <laughs> the love of this player with? And, and it's kind of a fun thing to do. 
Um, for me, this was a, a quarterback, quarterback build. And I got Aaron Jones, who I think is a great second round pick in the standard league. He was my third round pick in this league. Then I started building the receiver room with Evans, as you said, just a walking touchdown. Michael Pittman, who a lot of people are expecting a spike year from because Matt Ryan's better than Carson Wentz and Pittman was good last year anyway. And then Terry McLaurin, who maybe Wentz is an upgrade, maybe he isn't, but man, I, I just can't quit Terry McLaurin. I love him so much. And then later on, one of my favorite things to do in a draft is I, I was at a point where I was considering Elijah Mitchell or Devin Singletary with, uh, I had the third pick and we're moving up the draft. So after I made the pick, I wasn't going to pick for a long time. Wasn't sure what to do. Decided to take Elijah Mitchell. 18 or so picks come back and Devin Singletary still on the board. Whenever I'm thinking of a player and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go the other way. And then a long gap passes and that player comes back to me. I almost feel like it's just a karmic cosmic sign that I should take Singletary <laughs> too. So that's what I did. Um, I like my team. Don't like it as much as your team, but I like my team. But again, you know, Pittman's a guy I, I, I would like to be um, a heavily staked in Pittman this year. I feel like you have to elbow people out of the way a lot of times with Pittman. But although I got him at receiver 15, which I think is reasonable. I, if I could get him as the 15th receiver drafted in most leagues, I'd be in on that. I like my team. I'm not, not in love with it, not you know, planning a parade route or anything like that. But uh, the fishbowl is a blast, and um, it's fun. Who are the, who fun, are the quarterbacks have, for Team Pianowski? Have we, have we stacked yeah, receivers Herbert and, and Cousins. I, I haven't. I haven't. I'd like to do that. Um, and I, it's going to be hard. I, actually, I'm probably not going to be able to do it unless Irv Smith is still available. But I, I draft, you know, the thing, here's another thing, another inflection point for this draft. So I, I have the third pick. Allen goes first. Again, the quarterback... The thing with the scoring is that you get really you get penalized heavily if you have bad quarterback play, and there aren't that many plus you know safe quarterbacks in in this scoring. So the quarterbacks went heavy in in my league and a lot of leagues I have too. And again, picking third with third round reversal that the third round it's not a true snake where the second round and the third round are going to be both twelve to one, twelve to one. So I knew that if I didn't prioritize quarterback early, I'd get behind the eight ball and I didn't want to do that. So I thought, okay, Burrow will be a great third round, a uh, third pick overall. Allen will go. Somebody else will go. I'll take Burrow. Well, my draft, Allen and Burrow went one, two. And so this is a case where it's like, okay, Patrick Mahomes is the pick here. You know, Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, high upside, very high floor. And I thought back to the uh, fantasy baseball, the Yahoo Friends and Family League fantasy baseball, where I had the fifth pick. And I thought before the league season, maybe I'm going to take Mookie Betts there. And then Juan Soto got to me. I'm like, oh, I have to take Juan Soto. I mean, he's younger and he's just, you can't pitch to him and he's just always on base and he's going to hit a bunch of home runs. He's going to hit 340. But I hate their lineup and I don't like that team at all. I want to take Mookie Betts. No, I have to take Soto. Soto's the right <laughs> pick. So I take Soto and Soto's actually kind of come out of his early yeah. malaise. He's, he's hit the ball well lately and we, we know he's in the news for other reasons. You know, the, what are they going to do with his contract and Scott Boris and how they got to trade him and all this stuff. But I felt like, this whole time, I just wish I had Monkey Betts because he's <laughs> insulated with that Dodgers lineup. So when I got to this point in the draft, third pick overall, my Mahomes was my Soto, Herbert was my Monkey Betts. I just felt like I, I'm just going to go. My my gut says the right pick is Herbert, the younger player, more help around him, Eckler's edge in the backfield. So 
maybe it was crazy. You can tell me you think I was crazy to take Herbert over Mahomes or over a different quarterback, but I went with Herbert at three. No, I don't think it's crazy at all. I think I think Herbert and Mahomes and Burrow sort of all belong to the same tier of quarterbacks. And they, you know, listen, if any of them were were to be the MVP this year, it wouldn't be much of a surprise if any of them were to pass for like 5,200 yards and 45 touchdowns. Not going to be a huge surprise. In fact, I'd say one of them is probably going to do it. I don't, I don't know which one. Um, one of them is probably going to do it. I, you you hit on a, another really good point about the fishbowl in particular is that it does a really nice job. The scoring system does a really nice job. You know, there's it, it, basically I, with, with, without explaining it in its entirety, um, it it penalizes inaccurate passers and incompletions. Right. And it does a really nice job of rewarding guys who, you know, if a quarterback has a game where he completes 70, 75 percent of his throws, um, there's a there's a nice little bump for that guy, like things that that matter a whole lot in real life matter in the scoring system here. And it really separates the good quarterbacks from the bad. And it really penalizes guys. Like it's tough to put yourself in a position in this league where, you know, think of the conversation that we had about Daniel Jones, like in a lot of super flex formats in a, in a more typical scoring system. Sure. Maybe I'd take a flyer on a guy who I who whose range of outcomes I think you know goes from hey that's a that's a, the QB twelve all the way down to oh that's a disastrous season in which he threw fifteen interceptions and completed fifty eight percent of his pass. Well, if you're that guy, you know if you're that downside guy in in fishbowl, you're a you're a huge drag on uh, on team scoring. So I I was never going to go into this like taking flyers on a bunch of sketchy quarterbacks in rounds five and six, I was always going to take two quarterbacks off the top. I, I, I don't know if I got the two right guys, but I obviously feel pretty good about Joe Burrow and, and Russell Wilson. I'd rather have your quarterback room. I'd rather have your quarterback room than my room, man. I'm convinced Russell Wilson's going to have a huge year. I, so I, the, the, I did stack Wilson with Sutton. I, tr- I tried, I, I would have, if Jamar Chase would have been available to me in round two, it didn't happen, but I, I'm jealous of all these guys that are getting Burrow in round one and then Jamar Chase in round two. I think I would have done that probably even if Wilson was on the board. Um, because I because I could have lived with the third round quarterbacks, but that's the that's the stack I wanted. Instead, I got Russell Wilson and Cortland Sutton, and this is really going to come down to whether you know Cortland Sutton or Jerry Judy is going to be the right answer in Denver. What position have you prioritized the least? Um, accidentally, it's been it's been tight end. I've been very you know if you take two quarterbacks off the top in fishbowl, you're, you're out on the tier one tight ends, right? You're just not going to get them because the, the scoring is such that somebody is going to take Travis Kelsey in the first round. And somebody is going to take Mark Andrews either in the first round or the second round. And Kyle Pitts is going to go really early and, you know, Kittle's gone. And like, you're just going to miss out on the top guys. If you take quarterbacks in rounds one and round two. So I didn't, I wasn't able to do that. Um, the only tight ends that I've taken so far have been Cameron Brait and Hayden Hurst. I guess that's a stack. I've stacked Hayden Hurst with, uh, with Joe Burrow. Um, and I, I've got my eye on a couple of other guys. One of them just went, uh, somebody just took Evan Ingram. I was thinking about that, you know, like I'm, I would have wanted Irv Smith, but somebody took him just ahead of me. I'm, I'm just missing some of the upside tight ends. There's a couple of them still on the board that I'm looking at. Um, so we'll see, but what that's round, the what round are you in right now. We are in 16. Of course you are. Yeah. We're in the 11th round. Oh man. Yeah. When my draft stops, it stops for like 13 hours. It's been, it's been hard. You're five rounds ahead of me. I don't want to hear it. But, um, <laughs> it's fair. It's fair. Yeah. You know, the tight end I took, I, again, because I went quarterback, quarterback. And so what's going to happen is like, okay, well, now I really got to start pounding receivers and, and at least get one running back I like. 
least, you know, I'm not going to go zero RB. So I was happy to get Aaron Jones. I was happy to go Evans, Pittman, McLaurin, but I tight end was going to be on the back burner for me. Knowing I probably wouldn't get Dalton Schultz. I was eyeing him if he slipped, but he didn't. I didn't think Hawkinson would slip. So I took Zach Ertz in the seventh round and I don't know what to do with him because he's at an age where you just worry that the drop and grand tight ends can age gracefully. The thing with Ertz that was surprising is he changed teams in the middle of the year and was great right away. And he was good. Yeah. And, an Arizona offense that, man, what a weird year they had. They were the last team to lose in the NFL, and Kyler stopped running. Connor scored all the touchdowns. Chase Edmonds couldn't score a touchdown if you left him alone on the field because his allergies would break out. Uh, this year, Hopkins is going to miss a, a chunk of games. Christian Kirk has been paid handsomely by the Jaguars. A lot of moving parts here, and I guess I've talked myself into Zach Ertz catching 80 passes. I like it. Um, it's plausible. He was, uh, you know... it with all the other things that have happened in the NFL and all the other personnel changes, like uh, I, I feel like we haven't, we haven't spent a lot of time talking about Zach Ertz. I'm probably going to write about Zach Ertz at some point because he's a bit of a forgotten man at the position. And he was so good when he showed up, which just doesn't happen very often. As you say, Zach Ertz, there you go. There's your podcast. There it is. Um, thank you all for indulging a little Scott fishbowl conversation. It's just such a fun format, such a fun league. I wanted to hit upon it. Um, that's going to do it for us for this, uh, for this here episode. You guys can follow me on Twitter at Andy Barons. You should certainly follow him on Twitter at Scott underscore Pianowski. While you're there, you should be following. Make sure you're doing it at Yahoo Fantasy. Matt Harmon and Dalton Del Don are going to be back later this week to discuss another NFC East team, the Eagles. But until then, we are out. Thank you.